Welcome to the Proletarian Contrarian, the leftist podcast dedicated to the reevaluation of your favorite crappy films. I'm Nick. And I'm Lewis. And, and I'm with June. Us today, we have June. <laughs> <laughs> I ruined it. I'm we so ha- sorry. No, that's so good. That's good. That's that's very you. Um, we have our friend June Sayers from, from Twitter on to do this uh, guest episode. Hi, June. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Thanks for being here. Um, so what movie are we doing today, June? Why don't you, why don't you kick us off here? We are doing a movie I described, uh, previously on the Please Don't Fire Us podcast as a great movie, and then I walked it back a little bit and said it was a interesting and entertaining movie, uh, which is true, but I, I do think it's quite good, and it's The Girlfriend Experience from Steven Soderbergh. Yeah, we're doing the the great movie, the great 2009 movie, um, The Girlfriend Experience. Um, I had never seen this before. Lewis had never seen this before. But um, we have a little bit of a problem with this episode because this, in my opinion, is like an unironically good film. Yeah, yeah. Roger Ebert actually gave it four stars, and he seems to be one of the few people who actually understands it because everyone I know in real life who's seen it, like, hates it. That's fast. That's a that that's a really interesting dynamic because we here at Procon we we're, we're not fans of, <laughs> of Mr. Ebert. Yeah, in fact, an episode um, that we just did, we we uh, devoted a, a significant portion of it to bashing Roger Ebert. <laughs> a good twenty percent of the previous episode, which should be out now, yeah. is devoted to Terry. <laughs> but hey, he redeemed himself. That's good. Yeah, stopped that's, clock. That's right. The, that's the dialectic, I suppose. <laughs> Um, so yeah, the, this movie, um, famously stars, um, adult film performer, Sasha Gray as Christine, um, also as, also Chelsea, the main character, um, also starring in the movie are Chris Santos, Philip Eaton, Timothy Davis, Peter Zizzo, Glenn Kenny, Vincent Delacera, Kimberly Magnus, and Mark Jacobson. Um, this is an interesting cast, um, and not just because of of Sasha Gray's appearance, um, the character Mark Jacobson apparently is a journalist. Lewis, yeah. Lewis has this written down here. Mm-hmm. I think he was a journalist for Esquire and other publications. Um, and then I found out that he wrote a novel. Um, I think it's only fiction novel, um, which is about Godzilla, and it's about if Godzilla was real. Uh, and was actually like an irradiated uh, reptile and then became a B-movie star. And it's just called Gojira. <laughs> okay, so I know the next book that I'm buying after this, after we're done this episode. Yeah. Uh, people compare it to like Grendel, the book Grendel. That's great. Yeah. This is uh, actually a thing I know Soderbergh has done before because with Bubble, that was a cast of all non-professional actors and mm. it, it seems to be something that he likes to explore by unusual casting choices. Yeah, and he's yeah. he's done it again, folks, with this one. That's for sure. I mean, I think really the only professional actor in this movie is Sasha Gray. Um, yeah. And She's I think definitely the one who has the best filmography. The one I'm, I'm <laughs> by far the most familiar with. <laughs> she She's, um, she's a really interesting person because she's like... Um, I think she describes herself as like an existentialist. Yes. And her last name Gray comes from the portrait of Dorian Gray. Yeah. Um, she's she's a Bernie Sanders supporter. Um, she's donated to Bernie, I think, in 2016 and 2020. 
Um, and apparently she's really into film, like cinema, not not like just porn film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, she no. said she likes uh, Jean-Luc Godard quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, her uh, her porn name was originally going to be Anna Karina, uh, who, uh, you know, collaborated with uh, Godard on like 20 something films. Um, but then someone like talked her out of it, basically. So she went with Sasha Gray. I thought that was the Red Scare Girl, Anna Kay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to beep that part out when I edit this. All right. <laughs> <laughs> um. But yeah, so th- this is interesting. Like, I don't think I've ever really seen a Soderbergh film before. Um, not, not even, even the Oceans. Oceans? Like, I've, oh, damn! I've, I've like I've I've seen like parts of the Oceans films. That I've never sat through a full Oceans film in my life. I've, I've seen only seen certain the first parts one. of Magic Mike at least twenty times over. <laughs> <laughs> well, you 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 like Magic Mike, right? You said it's good. I do enjoy it. I mean, it's it was billed as like a fun, campy, like stripper romp mom porn type thing. And it's actually a lot more serious and intense than that. And mm. my understanding of like the people who don't like it don't like it because there's sort of like a bait and switch among the advertising. But if you go in knowing it's not just going to be fun, campy porn, it's going to be there's going to be a lot of existential angst, then I think you'll really enjoy it. Yeah, I think that's accurate. I think it's worth seeing. Um, and Magic Mike XXL, the sequel, is pretty good as well. Um, Soderbergh really didn't have much to do with that one. Uh, I think maybe a producer credit. But yeah, uh, I think they're both great. Uh, great uh, Saturday afternoon, you know, double feature. Yeah, ba- just based on like a few of the shots and knowing that Soderbergh um, was kind of moonlighting as the uh, cinematographer in this in this movie... It makes me curious to actually look up some of his other, some of his other work. Um, there, there. We when we when we get into the plot breakdown, I can I can mention some of the specific things that I liked, but like just some of the camera placement and some of like the different foreground background interplay was really it. it like I I really liked it. He's very yeah. interesting because he does like for every big budget flashy movie like Magic Mike, like the Oceans films, like Logan Lucky, he does something like this movie or. The Informant, which is like a crazy nonlinear plot or bubble or Unsane, which was the one he filmed on an iPhone. Right. Yeah, yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> Actually, Lewis, a lot of the shots in this movie reminded me of the the movie that we made together during our, our fail sun year. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure that I was exactly... Um, yeah, I'm not sure if Soderbergh was much of an inspiration at that time for me, but um, I'll okay. take it. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, we should we should we should I don't know put the link up somewhere. As um, as someone who either, is a patron, I would just say this would be some great premium content. Yeah, <laughs> I think so. It, it it's the fail sun manifesto that we made basically. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Before the the term fail sun existed, uh, Nick and I uh, made the uh, the seminal film for sure. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's true. Um, but getting back to girlfriend experience, so this this was made on a shoestring budget of one point seven million. Um, it only made back one million, um, and it didn't really get a huge release in the states. Uh, only forty eight theaters, um, twenty six theaters in France, twenty six in Brazil, um, and it was also released in Russia, Portugal, Spain, and Australia. So like very very limited release. Like this this is like the definition of like an art like an art house piece. 
Yeah, I mean, there is no way this movie was ever going to make any more than a million. Like, I actually think it's it's quite the feat that it made a million at all. Um, yeah. It probably because, you know, it has Sasha Gray's name and Steven Soderbergh is attached to it. Yes. That would be my guess, definitely. Um, tomato meter uh, critical consensus is 67%, and the audience score is 35%. Um, that seems ridiculous to me. It seems ridiculous to me because, like I said, everyone I know in real life other than you two hate this movie. <laughs> so I would expect it to be even lower. But it's ridiculous in the sense that also that this movie is very good. So people should like it. Yeah, this film came out in my second year of film school. Um, I had some peers who really hated it. Um, I had some who were, uh, I don't know, they kind of were lukewarm on it. So... Yeah, I don't really know a lot of people who love it except us. So, <laughs> welcome to a very elite club. Um, we yeah. are we are right about this film. Um, I would go as far as to call it a masterpiece. Um, but this is just like the exact kind of film that I love. So maybe that's just like yes. my own quirks. I don't know. June and I were watching it together, and there were so many moments where I'm like. Fuck yes. I, I see why Lewis loves this. I see why Lewis <laughs> likes it so much. Like just different specific shots. Vindicated um, finally. Yeah, I, I think we can call ourselves the erotic connoisseurs based on this <laughs> I don't want to. <laughs> no. I don't want to be that character. We'll talk about that soon. Yeah, that that'll that'll make sense in in a little bit, folks, once we get to that 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 persona. Yeah. I do want to mention that so Sutterberg uh, got the idea for this movie after he read a 2006 LA Magazine article called The Teenager and the Porn Star by David Gardetta that was about Sasha Gray, um, right as she started in the industry at 18 years old. Um, I read the piece. It's a really interesting piece. But literally in the first paragraph, the author mentions Soderbergh twice like just randomly he's like this porn director has a similar career to Steven Soderbergh and then he mentions Steven Soderbergh's film Sex Lies and Videotape imagine being Steven Soderbergh reading this random article about a porn star your name comes up twice your movies I think that he wrote he references Oceans the Oceans films a few times and then you're just like you know what fuck it I'm gonna make a movie with this person because this this article mentioned me three times if if something I'd written was mentioned more than once in a pretty big article that also mentioned Sasha Gray, I would be elated. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I know I know Sasha Gray is re- retired from acting now, basically. Um, but she she was like kind of she, she kind of broke into mainstream um, circles a little bit like she was really infamous. Um, there was one specific thing. I, I think she like read children's books to a kindergarten class yeah. at one point. Mm hmm. And um, that there was like this whole hubbub, like parents freaked out because like, oh, porn stars reading to our kids or whatever. But um, based on stuff like that and based on stuff like her parents in this movie, she seems like fairly grounded and like she seems like she has like a solid handle on her career and everything. Like I know she's like a DJ and she she's like in some post-industrial band. Um, it, it, it's just cool that she has like all these other like things going for her. She streams The Witcher every week. She's pretty entertaining. What? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Hell yeah, that's that that's something for that's a little something for all three of us. It like really, we got Witcher, is. we got <laughs> we got Witcher, we got we have existentialism, we have adult porn performances, we got everything. That's <laughs> what else do you need? Seriously, this movie was just made for the three of us and no one else. Thank you, Steven Soderbergh. <laughs> yes. 
Steven Soderbergh was very concerned about uh, those of us who are advocating for hot rights. <laughs> uh, that that's not the only prescient thing in this film. I th- I think like prescience will be the theme of this episode because there's a lot of little things that I picked up on that like kind of, kind of resonate with the politics and the culture of today. Maybe prescience of... is the theme of our month. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. It makes me think Especially, of... Especially, yeah. Sorry, I keep interrupting you. Um, it makes me think of Uncut Gems being able to capture a moment in time that was relatively recent. Yeah. Because this was going back only one or two years, kind of the You're same right. way that Uncut Gems is 2012, and it encapsulates it so perfectly. That's a very good call. Um, yeah, I agree. Yeah, so this is also in the uh, pro-con Uncut Gems uh, extended cinematic universe. Yes. <laughs> oh my god. For entirely different reasons. Um, I mean, I don't think there are actual gems in this movie, but... Uh, <laughs> there there are metaphys- uh, metaphorical gems, yeah, I guess. here we go. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> we do have a review here that is sure to enrage all three of us by Peter Bradshaw from The Guardian. That's why I picked it. Um, yeah, some, some little selections here. Uh, Bradshaw writes... With a filmmaker as prolific and fluent as Steven Soderbergh, there are bound to be some misses to go with the hits. But I don't think Soderbergh has ever missed quite as badly as this. A shallow, negligent piece of work, badly acted and casually put together. Boo. Certainly, yeah, boo. Certainly, the journally wooden gray doesn't have the acting ability to suggest anything as interesting as an inferior con- as an interior conflict. In the persistent... Desul- desultory... Desultory desultory dialogue with her various clients about the credit crunch is never convincing boo boo again That's, there's a cameo f- I, I will interject to say people i know who like it that tends to be their objection is sasha gray's mm. acting which yeah totally misses the point yeah there's a cameo for glenn kenny the former film critic on premiere magazine here playing an online quote-unquote erotic connoisseur who gets a freebie from Chelsea on the understanding that he will give her a great write-up and take her on a trip to Dubai where, at the time of filming, the real high rollers were to be found. This horrible sleazeball merely writes a nasty review of Chelsea's charms. The irony is not entirely intentional. Not much of an experience, this. Um, and then looking at a picture here of Peter Bradshaw. <laughs> <laughs> This is one of this is probably the funniest thing Lewis has ever done these notes. This is so good. That's literally his critic pick on The Guardian. Like I just took it from The Guardian. It was just like on the left column of this article. Like this is what he chose. This dude is definitely familiar with Sasha Gray's body of work. That's all I have to say. Like intimately familiar. Like Oh my god. Um <laughs> That's the end of the episode. I can't continue. Bye. <laughs> yeah, we're done. We're done. Cut it's cut today print. I learned not everyone is a hot rights advocate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Peter Bradshaw said anti hot rights for sure. <laughs> yeah. That's that's being kind. Um to to give him to give him a bone here, um I I get what he means when he says that like is Sasha's Sasha Gray's affect is kind of flat. Um I I like like June was saying, I think that's kind of the point. Yeah. I think I think um, so. Her yeah, her her stilted delivery is definitely intentional. It's definitely um it, it works for what, what the character goes through. So like I 
especially like when contrasted with like the the interactions that she goes through with the, the other characters like i don't know how you can miss that yeah i think i always read it as this is like her day-to-day this is very much a sex work is work in a not incredibly glamorous sense and it's very mundane for her because it is routine the only time she is emotional when she's going on about astrology you do see the variation and if you just think about like the way you talk about your own job to somebody it would probably be in this kind of affect yeah i think that's spot on honestly um the astrology stuff was also amazing uh I wish there was more of it in this film, actually. Like, when she started, when she asked the guy for, like, his birthday, and that, like, changes her mind about, uh, yeah, seeing him as a client, I was like, fuck, yes, give me more of this. Um, June and I have been fighting all, all, for, for, for a few days now about, like, astrology, and if it's, like, the, the validity of it, but, like, she, you did, you did mention something about, like, um, the types of people that would do high-end sex work and that would also do like be interested in astrology right yeah i the unbelievable part of this to me is not that someone would make this drastic decision based on astrology because she behaves basically like every other woman i know that age who's really into astrology and i mean like really into it uh the fact that uh someone who's doing sex work who has this like very wealthy very like volatile and clientele as you see in the film like people cancel on her make kind of ridiculous demands that sort of person usually leads to a very intj r slash atheism astrology has no predictive power kind of individual so so the the correct people in society (laughs) yes so nick (laughs) that's <laughs> what you're saying yeah well i will say i'm Sa- i'm sasha gray so to be fair <laughs> sasha gray is a pisces and this is very pisces of her based her kind of weird out there actions that make no fucking sense i guess once we get a little bit in, more into the the plot the plot breakdown I, I can say why i found it within her character to do what she did based on the astrology thing um, but while we're here, while we're on something that you don't like of of the movie, um, we can just go through the lo- the loathsome content, um, such as it is uh, for this for this film. Uh, so I just have like one quibble. I'm not a big fan of like uh, non diegetic music becoming like diegetic music, um, right, and I don't like right. this example of it either. So there's like this really bad like jazz drum solo uh, throughout maybe one or two portions of the film uh the final portion mm. we see that it is like a jazz drummer on uh the streets of new york uh playing this this uh music and uh i don't know i just could have done without that like it was very much like um godard uh his film weekend when there's like a guy playing drums in the woods which like it's he does it better because he's godard and because like it's just i don't know it's a better scene but uh i don't know yeah. that's just my like my pet peeve i think it's prescient because i feel like that predicted birdman <laughs> it's true yeah <laughs> that's that's fair enough the the one visual quibble i had like the one thing in the film um th- there's one point where uh sasha gray's boyfriend opens up the newspaper and puts it on at the counter and it reads like 
Obama v. McCain, it's it's like a very beating you over the head with like this is about the stimulus, this is about the recession, this is about like like this is what's going on while this stuff happens. And like I, I think there were enough dialogue mentions yeah. and like just little yeah. snippets of, of news on the screen. Like like we didn't need to see it literally in black and white, like in the in the newspaper. That just seems a little like a little much. I really don't like whenever newspapers are featured as like an insert shot that yes. way. Mm-hmm. I think it's very lazy. Yes. Yeah, it is lazy. Although I did like that it was, I think it was the New York Post and everything was fairly yeah. sensational. So just like it made me dislike uh, the character of her boyfriend even more. So I don't know, maybe that was intentional. Yes. Kudos. <laughs> <laughs> but like you think there's the later scene of, of the two of them just cuddling on the couch, like watching a debate. And he's like, if I hear the word Maverick one more time, I'm, I'm not going to vote for either of them. Right. And like 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 scenes like that felt a lot more real. Yeah. Like just, mm-hmm. Especially because we didn't see the debate. We the camera's looking at them watching TV. Right. Yeah, there are, there really are centrist shitheads like that. Oh my yeah, the, I mean, talk about a fucking le- like pol- like movie that lends itself to a leftist read, right? <laughs> like like the 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 class aspects of this movie are like just there, like waiting to be to be picked up. Like it's it's like fish in a barrel here. Yeah, which the TV show that was inspired by it goes even more like near the end the sec Mm. of the first season of the show the character goes on this tirade about how like everyone's paid to be everywhere because it's fucking capitalism yep nice hell yeah yeah it's a great show i will always like i'm a huge stan for the first season of it with uh riley kayo as the playing the christine character so i'll always like try and plug it whenever i have a chance yeah she's great um, she's a great actress, and then I think Loge Kerrigan directed all of the episodes, and he's a good director. Um, so I've been meaning to see it. So um, yeah, folks, go out there and watch it. I can vouch for the first episode at least. I did see it. It's um, it fe- it feels very like simpatico with with the movie. Yeah, nice. the shithead dad in Thoroughbreds that the girls want to kill plays like a very similar like shithead like partner role at the law firm in the TV show, and like that guy is just perfectly typecast for that sort of role. Mm. Nice. So I guess to get into the actual plot here of of the girlfriend experience, um, Sasha Gray is the main character. It's it's about her. Um, her name is. What's her is, is her real name Christine and yeah. her professional name is Chelsea. Yes. Yes. And I thought that was interesting because her boyfriend's name is Chris. So you have Chris and Christine, like they're very clearly playing parallel roles here. Um she's in a relationship with this personal trainer named Chris. Um but I mean, with the understanding that her, her work is is high end um escort uh sex work, specifically providing the girlfriend experience, which is like not only sex, but it's um there's an element of like emotional intimacy. There's an element of pretending that there is this pre-established emotional connection um with with the client that she's with for the time. Yeah, I I mean I found it accurate based on my own personal experiences that it it usually gets reduced to this like kind of incel guy character where it's like this person's gonna like explode unless they get sex immediately and like all they want is like a woman ideally a woman with a vagina that they can put their dick in but like in reality most of these dudes want like 
they want to bitch about things. They want someone to pay attention to them and like nod and say, "Uh huh, yeah, that's interesting. People have told me that," which is like most of her dialogue to her clients. Yeah. So you found the depiction of sex work to be like, like, like within the verisimilitude of the film, it to be accurate. Oh, definitely. I mean, the astrology thing is like my one kind of objection based on <laughs> your sort of. She's she's very much like a VIP player on like Slixa. Like she's got the, she'd be the person who has the like absurd rates on her very fancy website. And yeah, the astrology thing there is, is kind of weird, but the notion that it's a bunch of rich people who have a lot of bizarre demands. Cause when she's cataloging all the things she's doing, it's usually not just like I was on my back and he went missionary and came in me. It's like, he watched me masturbate. He talked and I was naked and we didn't have sex. I like touched him in this place for an hour like like the stuff she's describing is not what you would expect which i think is pretty true because it establishes that something like sex work isn't solely about sex it's about that interpersonal relationship like you described yeah and i think that um that element of it kind of really drives home a leftist message which is that sex work is work right like we every worker sells their time and their bodies to some degree it's just a matter of of how yeah, and I think the parallel with the personal trainer that he's trying to have the emotional interaction yes. with the client, he's also doing something physical, and uh, the the scene when he talks with the the girl about the client who got to who has become too into this person and how do you deal with yes. that? It's, oh, it's yeah, a very yeah. clear parallel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see people like not appreciating that parallel. They might think it's like too obvious, but. I don't know. I, I thought it was pretty ingenious of, of Soderbergh. And, um, uh, well, Soderbergh didn't write it, but whoever wrote it, um, I forget, um, Brian Koppelman and David uh, Levin. And uh, David Levin, I think, is actually uh, the character of David in this movie, her old flame. Oh, okay. uh, he, he co-wrote yeah. the, the movie. Um, so, yeah, no, I I, I really uh, I appreciated the parallels. Um and yeah, in terms of like the 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 clients, um, well, both cli- both both sets of clients, right? I mean, there's the uh, his clients, his rich uh, douchebag clients, and then there's her rich clients, um, and they have you know their their um, their own kind of idiosyncrasies. Um, but her clients, I would say, are a little bit more empathetic, even though their idiosyncrasies uh, might be maybe a little more untoward for most people. <laughs> Yeah, um, I mean, her clients, I don't know, some of them are pretty shitty. Like, we get, we can get into, like, why, like, things they say that are pretty shitty. Yeah, for sure. Um, but some of them, like, the ones who don't say a lot of stuff, like, there's the diaper guy. I don't know. He seemed yeah, normal. Like, the, yeah. the feet guy, like, he didn't, I don't think he said any words. He just massaged her feet. Um, and my favorite is the uh, Valsell Fat Rick Moranis character. <laughs> yes. Yes, he he was a, he was a sweetheart. Yeah, yeah. They didn't they didn't have sex. They just talked. He was like, "Oh, we've been doing this for a while," and she's like, "Yeah, yeah, we have. I haven't seen it in a while. It's amazing." Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think we should mention at this time that this movie doesn't really have a plot per se in terms of like character development. Like like a character undergoes an arc and changes towards the end. Right. Um, it 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 is very experimental. It is very like art like art house. Um. 
it it details five live uh, five days during the life of of christine but like the only reason that i know that it's five separate days is because like i read that in a plot description <laughs> yeah because like it it jumps around and and that's that's really cool i love that it like it it jumps from her client during one day and like her experience during one day to her experiences or her client during another day um and it feels like somebody remembering things like at the end of a week like it like it feels like it, it felt like me like remembering the like the highlights of my week like either in vivid detail or in fuzzy detail um like like as i drive home friday it it had that it had like a very good um like tableau of of memory and experience um through the things you have to do just to get through the week it definitely has that feel of fiction that's presented like it's non-fiction especially with the almost like home movies style like quasi found footage of chris when he's with his like boys going to vegas yes yeah this feels very much like something that might get sent to like one of the big media channels to be like look at what goes on inside the world of sex workers Oh, or you know, you know that TV sh- like channel they play in bars all the time, like the Chive. It kind of felt like yeah, that. Yeah, definitely. What is that? What? <laughs> go go into like a really shitty bro bar. It like it's not it's not as common as it used to be back in the like late aughts. So like that's another impression thing I guess from, from this movie. <laughs> but like it's it's a TV channel. Just it just like streams like fails on youtube style like content just like to play endlessly or like gotcha. extreme red bull skydiving and they'll like play it for 30 seconds and then they'll have an ad for red bull and then they'll play like another stupid like compilation of like cringe or whatever amazing yeah um but yeah so i, I guess like the plot such as it is um christine is working with these clients uh her boyfriend chris is working with these clients um christine wants to increase her her web presence and like her her status in the escort um industry at the same time chris wants to increase he he wants to be like a manager at the gym and he's like scouting other gyms to see um if he can work there so there's a very clear parallel between the two of them um but then christine meets a client who she becomes infatuated with um and she runs away with him for a weekend just to spend time one-on-one kind of like more personal, not as a client in a, in a, in a provider. Um, and that pisses Chris off. So he breaks it up with her. And of course the client just doesn't meet with her. Cause he's like, Oh, I've, I have a family and I have kids and I, I just feel too guilty to do this. And she's kind of just like left, um, left alone. And, and like, that, like, that's it. Like, like, like that's a sequence of events as they happen. Yeah, definitely. Um, there's also the interesting character I mentioned of David, who's like her old flame, who we see intermittently in the film. Um, and I actually right. thought he was Chris, like almost every time he was on camera, I was like, yeah. oh, this is just another like moment of her and like Chris, some kind of domestic bliss situation thing. And I'm like, oh, wait, no, that's her ex-boyfriend, David. And I thought that was really interesting because like... They show them doing, like, things couples do, like, you know, having a nice, like, you know, dinner out and going to, like, buy art. And it's always happy between them. They have, like, really good chemistry. And then you compare that to, like, any time she's on screen with Chris. And it's like, yeah, they cuddle and they watch the debate and stuff. But also, like, he mainly just, like, yells at her for, like, 
I don't know, being right. into one client a little bit more than he thinks she should. Right. Um, who bought the art together? Because that's like a recurring motif. I, I thought it was Christine and Chris that bought it together. No, it's Christine and David, actually. Interesting. When Interesting. Uh, the package she opens at the end is the art. And uh, yeah. that's from David. It's easy to confuse them. Both of them kind of look like uh, like hotter version of the cake boss. <laughs> <laughs> and you you also mentioned um, Papa John from Papa John. Yeah, <laughs> so, oh, there is yeah, a little I can see Papa that. John vibe too. More so to uh, the old flame than to the, the personal trainer. Yeah, but yeah, his haircut specifically is very Papa John. Yeah, yeah. Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> that's a, that's another that's another prescient bit here. Um. Maybe Papa John was like hot in 2009. I really don't remember, but the, you know he's still hot now. A, actually, fuck it, no. <laughs> <laughs> this was a throwback, um, contrasting with all the prescience. But this is a throwback reference. Um, the sporting goods store that the boyfriend Chris goes to to try to sell. I don't know if he has like a line of clothing, like yeah, workout clothing. He's trying to get off the line, but like it's a Ramsey Outdoor. Um, sporting goods store and that is the that is a store that davy scantino from the soprano zone what and that tony bought a, tony yes. deliberately got him to join the car, the executive card game and he bought him out and then he just ran up the bills until the it was foreclosed upon holy shit that's amazing yes i wonder if yes. that doesn't exist anymore because of like the financial crisis i can only imagine yeah. i mean i don't even know if ramsey outdoors is i've never seen one in I, real life so <laughs> Uh, can we talk about just give a couple moments to acknowledge the erotic connoisseur who's like the best character in this whole movie? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. We'd be remiss so, if we oh did it. The way the way you meet this guy is she goes into this like furniture store and it's <laughs> yes. not it's not yeah. quite abandoned, but it's clearly a front because there's no one else there. Yeah. It doesn't look taken care of. No. And so she there is someone else there. Yeah. Oh yeah. There, there's there's one, the old guy who works there, but there's no like other customer there. And so right. she tells this guy, uh, like, I'm looking, you know, she, like, gives him the password, basically. And then so he brings her to the back, and it opens up, and you see this guy who, uh, he he's not, I don't think he's a hot rights advocate either. <laughs> but he's also amazing. And he just says, oh, you must be Chelsea. And then he goes, thanks, Dad. Yeah. <laughs> just... I... When I heard that, I, I laughed harder than I have in a long yeah. time. <laughs> I mean, he is the true fail son of this episode. Yeah, every, every film we would we watch has a fail son, and, and he was he was that for this. Yeah. This guy is clearly the he cites in his review of Chelsea. That's really negative. He cites uh, the opening of Misty Beethoven, which is a golden age of porn era film, because of <laughs> course that's the sort of like niche seemingly highbrow but also lowbrow reference that somebody like this would pull out yep so like the the idea plot wise is that um chelsea christine is meeting with him um because he he's the erotic connoisseur he he has lots of influence like online and like forums and stuff and like porn sites and um he's basically telling her if you give me a freebie i can get you in to the group of escorts that will go to Dubai and 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 do sex work for the sheiks in Dubai because they're fucking loaded. Um, 
the political implications of that are really interesting because of course dubai is this like this like illusory kingdom built upon sand that is not going to exist in 30 years because like they're they're propped up by like they're, they're like flush with very temporary oil money um but they they like are super extravagant like like young young venture capitalist douchebags like own cheetahs as like pets in dubai yeah. and shit so like you you have that image but it's contrasted with like this weirdo fail son sitting in the back of a furniture store <laughs> like yeah like blackmailing this this woman for free sexual favors and it, it's such a good contrast because he's so full of shit when he says oh this, right? right there's no way he's ever been to or will ever go to dubai <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he he has a few good choice quotes that I wrote down here. Um, when when he when he first opens the door, he's like, "Ah, Miss Chelsea, I presume. Thanks, Dad." And he's like, when he when he leads her into the back, "How do you like what I haven't done with the place?" <laughs> um, and and he he walks over to a piano. He's like, "Yeah, I, I brought this piano in here. I could improvise for hours." Dun 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 dun. <laughs> Just like it's. <laughs> Yeah, he says as it were like three or four times in such as it is a bunch of times. Like he peppers those little additions. Yeah, he's got the classic like smart guy trying to or dumb guy trying to act like a smart yes. guy effect. Going yeah, on. yeah, yeah, definite. Uh, yeah, such such as it were. Dunning's sure. Kruger effect writ large, definitely yeah, on this yes. guy. Yeah, um, played by Glenn Kenny, who uh, in Peter Bradshaw's review he he had said, you know. Kenny was a, a critic for a Premier Magazine. He's still a critic. Um, he has his own website uh, called Some Came Running, which is a Frank Sinatra movie, actually. Um, and he, he he's still a critic for other publications, though. I can't think off the top of my head. Um, one of the better ones, I think, one of the better mainstream critics. Um, he's just like, he just, he... In real life, I think he isn't actually like he is actually a smart guy. That's why like you know this non-actor can be like such a good character actor in the moment. Um, yeah, funnily enough, mm. when the TV show was coming out a few years later, uh, he wrote this entry on his blog saying that people who watched the movie had contacted him and they're like, "Oh, is the ironic connoisseur going to be in the TV show?" And his answer was like. You know, A, I'm not a professional actor, and, like, B, I wasn't in charge of the writing in the episodes, and they didn't incorporate something like that. So, no, but I appreciate that apparently so many people wanted me to be in it, which, (laughs) understandably so, because I kind of want him to be in almost anything I watch now. Yeah, Yeah. it's crazy. I don't know if he has other acting credits, but, like, he really, he should give it a go again, because, yeah, he's, he's good. Yeah, he, he's he's so good. Um, and there, there are a fair number of like non-actor actors in this. I think the majority of of actors mm-hmm. in this film, besides um, Harold Flame David, Sasha Gray, and that's it. I don't know. I think that's literally it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, and, and that that's some good that's some good shit. There's like a story tradition of of. I guess art house directors like just making movies with non-professional actors. Um, Most famously, or at least for me, um, uh, Charles Burnett's film Killer of Sheep, um, a film it's like a day in the life of um, uh, residents of uh, Watts County in uh, um, 
in a well Watts, the area of LA County, um, predominantly mm-hmm. African American community. Um, I think actually all of Charles Burnett's films are, are non-professional actors. He has one film, uh, Sleep with Anger, that has uh, Danny Glover. And I think that's like it. It's the only like professional actor he's ever worked with. And I think um, that movie True Stories that was the David Byrne oh, movie yeah. from the Talking Heads. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, th- there are some big name actors like John Goodman's in it and like um, and David, Bur- David Byrne himself. But like a lot, a lot of people in that movie are not professional actors there's like random texas people yeah um no i love movies with non-professional actors um i like making movies with non-professional actors such as my co-host <laughs> nick um such as me <laughs> um quasi professional actor over here what do you think that says like what do you think that says though about like um be- beyond the fact that like it signals oh th- this is a this is a not necessarily amateur, but like this is kind of a more guerrilla uh, production. Like this is a more off the cuff thing. Um, wh- what what do you think it says that to to tap people that aren't specifically um, either trained or, or presenting as like actors? What it says about this movie specifically, or like just movies in general? Uh, both. I mean, just <laughs> it, it, <laughs> well, yeah, like in in general, but also like specifically for the context of this movie, like the context of like people selling their time. Right, right. Um, I don't know. There could be like a capital, uh, like a anti-capitalist read, where it's just like um, everybody is always selling their time. Uh, similar to what June said, is the uh, is a rant in the uh, uh, girlfriend experience uh, TV show. Apparently, um, that yeah, we're all selling our time. Um, we're all also acting, right? I mean, like uh, I have to act every day when I go to work. I have to like pretend I give a shit. Uh, about my job so i don't know um i think it says a lot about the capitalist society we live in that i mean anybody could be an actor so your answer is we live in a society yes. yeah i mean <laughs> i said the word society so i set myself up for that <laughs> yes for me i mean no no i mean i'm an opera aficionado so like for me it has a sort of verismo feel where it's like this isn't a fantastical over-the-top story of mistaken identity between aristocrats it's about you know an opera it would be like this is like everyday you know farmers or or people living in like rural parts of, of italy but for me the film i keep thinking of is two or three things i know about her also by Godard and oh yeah Perhaps it's like not really fair to compare <laughs> the two, but I know Sasha Gray is a fan of, of his work, so I, I think she'll appreciate it. Um, but in that movie, when they're, I think of the scene in the beginning when they're like going through the news reports where they're, it's about uh, Vietnam and like all the statements are just the like same phrase repeated over and over again of like, oh, these many people were killed and we will do best efforts and we're trying to defend our country or whatever. And they just keep repeating it over and over again to, like, establish that, like, this is a thing that everybody does, but it's also bullshit. Um, But you also see this with, like, the characters throughout where it's, like, she goes to the clothing store and the person who works at the clothing store talks a little bit about her life to establish that, like, all of these characters are all really the same people. Just because, like, one person is the narrator doesn't mean that they're somehow, like, a better person. They're going through the exact same thing as everybody else. Yeah. Yeah, I think that is that is a, a great interpretation of this film. Um, 
and two or three things I know about her. That's also about sex work too, isn't that? It one? is, yeah. Because yeah. she turns to uh, sex work. Because in that one, she's not able to like her family's not able to to pay the bills. Uh, I I think of all the like sex work films, the actual character of Chelsea is probably a little closer to like Catherine Deneuve's character in Belle de Jour, where it's a little more of there's some sort of personal interest in the actual work, even if it is still a job. But I'm probably just filibustering because Belle du Jour is like my favorite movie. So I try to compare everything to it. But <laughs> Well, I mean, th- th- this is the time and place to filibuster. That, that, that shit's great. <laughs> um, yeah, another interesting thing, um, getting back to the prescience angle. Um, it th- This movie, it, it felt really it felt kind of quaint in a lot of ways, like the, the political talk, like, like not the movie felt quaint, but like, (laughs) this is definitely the word I would use to describe this movie. The, 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 the political and cultural perspectives accurately exhibited by the characters felt quaint in retrospect to what's going on today. Whatever. Do you mean of like, like the (laughs) concerns of like, Oh, voting for McCain versus Obama, like dealing with the aftermath of the great recession, like, the, the the seriousness with which with which they treat that versus the seriousness of the political landscape of today, it felt like so innocent in comparison, and um and and I think the parallel with the, the parallel between that context and what the characters do, um, the way Christine carry like conducts her business like oh I want to get top hits on search engines like that desire and that goal compared with like the utterly schizophrenic and insane way that sex workers today go about um advertising their services like through god what is like OnlyFans, instagram like snapchat like all these different like micro channels that have been atomized as opposed to just like one central hub when like the internet was more like of an amorphous thing rather than like split up into all these different channels like it it just felt like palpably different um yeah, I've talked of correctly and it correct sorry, sorry, just really quick, just like correctly and accurate correctly and accurately like depicting two thousand eight versus twenty twenty and, and like how people um access sex work um specifically online. Yeah, I was gonna say I've talked about this before when when doing sort of discussions about sex work and something that gets pointed to is Slixa, which kind of builds itself as like you pick your city and we list all the available full service sex workers and all that. But it's not really that. It's really only a few choice people ever manage to get there because you need to have this many pictures and this many links and this many people this many people who have reviews about you and you need to be able to like essentially market yourself. So it's really only the couple people who are already at the top are actually making use of it. So everybody else has to go mm. to OnlyFans, to the Sugar Baby dating sites, to all of these different other venues in order to build themselves up. Yeah, that's really an interesting dynamic. I, I haven't thought about that at all. Um, and that is something I wish the film would go maybe into a little bit more detail. I understand that's not this kind of film, really. Um, but uh, I did appreciate just the, the small conversations about, um, you know, kind of uh, Christine slash Chelsea's, uh, you know, business as it is, um, the, you know, the, kind of the website SEO stuff with that website guy. And then, um, you know, the stuff with her accountant. Um, 
you know, it's it's obviously not a documentary, so it's not going to give us that, you know, exact look into, uh, you know, a, a sex worker's life. But um, what we do see, what glimpses we get, um, I think are super interesting. Um, and those verisimilitudes, I mean, that's the kind of stuff I want in every movie, um, like these really minute verisimilitudes yes. about people's lives um, and about work specifically. I mean, that's kind of uh, my thing. Um, Nick can attest to that. The the movie that we shot together that we alluded to, which I, I to give us some credit, and I, I think this is deserved, it, there is some overlap between Girlfriend Experience and, and the movie we made, but like it, it, it follows me during like a day during my wage slave job back when I was a fail son immediately after college. Numerous um, days. And, I think you like shot three. Yeah, over a couple of days. Like I, I do think there is some like a, a lot of connective tissue between that movie and, and girlfriend experience. And um and one of the things that I was connecting to specifically was like just to get back to the cinematography, which I love in this movie, um, because I it, it did remind me very much of the way that you would shoot me interacting with customers in my custom t-shirt printing job at the mall um you you like you would like put the camera kind of half behind like a product or like half behind like a sign or half behind like a stack of t-shirts and you would just get like hours of footage of me talking to people that would come in come in and then you would just pick the best shots yeah um well thank you i appreciate it uh this episode <laughs> is uh there's some uh metatextuality here because uh, Nick and I are selling ourselves here with this uh, with this episode. Uh, we, <laughs> we are, are selling the Nick and Lewis experience, um, and we're also trying to sell <laughs> sell my movie. Go to Vimeo, please, and buy it. No, I, you can't. Actually, it's just free. Uh, maybe we'll put a link. I don't know. We'll figure it out. All right, but we got we got to stop selling ourselves. <laughs> well, in addition to the two of you selling yourself, it's also the fact that the girl involved has you know has published pieces about doing sex work and has talked about this and yes, argued about the of importance of things like decriminalization. Yeah, and I mean, if if I don't know if you want to take this this opportunity now or if you want to save it more towards the end when we do your plugs, but if if you do want to talk about the that piece that you contributed to the the short story. Book. Oh yeah, so I was published in a horror's manifesto, which was about uh, just sort of stories and work by former and current sex workers, and the majority of them I think ended up being uh, people who were stripping. But there were a couple of full service sex workers, and for me it was mostly a uh, it was describing sort of emotional conversation, and it's mostly about the dialogue and the characters' internal thoughts. Uh, it really has very little to do with sex in the same way that like Eyes Wide Shut is people think of it as like the orgy film, but the film actually has basically nothing to do with sex. Uh, it's, it's all about the emotional connections and that's kind of where I was going for with the piece and that's kind of why I like both the movie and the TV show is it gets at the mm. emotional labor in the very classical sense of you have to pretend like you're into the person and not even pretend because sometimes the person is interesting and you can partly enjoy what you're doing, but it is still work. Like, you know, in the same way that if you have a fun day at work, it's, you still wouldn't really go and clock in to do your nine to five. Yeah. And I think, um, that that's an interesting thing because this movie takes that subtext and it makes it text like the girlfriend experience literally like, yeah, sex is involved of course, but like, you pay so much money for the girlfriend experience because you want that 
that emotional labor that that's what that's what you're really paying for when you pay these these high these high priced escorts rather than just um a sexual experience there there's the 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 pageantry right of like right and that's why i like the first scene it's not anything sexual at all it's her and her client talking about a movie kind of the same sort of like bullshit discussion you kind of have with just like people you know right that's and that's also another connection with Procon here because they're talking about movies. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think she says because she does those diary entries. They saw um, Man on Wire, which is I believe by I forget who Man on Wire is by. We're gonna do more of that Procon contemporaneous research. <laughs> Hell yeah! Good, good on you, June. Thank that's, you. You're already you're already a full fledged uh, member of the crew. Uh, James James Marsh. No, it's not that one. It's a different man. <laughs> oh my god. Oh, maybe it is that one. Actually, works. that's what they meant. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Film yeah, people are so it fucking insufferable. In yeah, that's the same time. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was thinking of a different movie entirely, but no, that must be it. Yeah, the documentary about the guy who goes between the twin towers on a tightrope. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Philippe something, some French dude. Philippe Petit. But yeah, they go to see that. I also thought it was interesting because, like, you know, the guy in that um, in that scene, he's like talking about he like he as if he knows like about film. But I'm like, ha! Sasha Gray actually knows about film. She'd fucking eat you for <laughs> breakfast, motherfucker. <laughs> um, yeah, like I, I guess to talk about the characters a little bit, I, I felt like a lot of these people should like they need to meet Patrick Bateman, who would like run in their circles. Um they're they're all pretty generally unlikable like i think chris christine herself is she she's she's sympathetic for sure um but she she has the benefit of like the movie being about her but um lewis was saying earlier how like chris himself is kind of awful her her boyfriend yeah he's just awful and boring too like i just i don't know i wouldn't, I wouldn't want to spend any time with him the fact that like he thinks going to like that that, that vegas trip is like kind of cool I mean, it says a lot about it. Oh, him. yeah. And I mean. the fact that on the plane when they're talking about the election and they're, like, laughing and drinking beers and betting on odds on who wins, it's okay, clear you know none the, of these... Really yeah. quick. You know who they're, they're drinking Corona because this movie predicted the coronavirus. <laughs> you had to interrupt you to say that. Oh, Thank my you, Nick. fucking God. Wow. Yes, yes. I Incredible. Yes, I did. This is like... I wrote it down in my this notes. This is like oh that fucking God. bullshit Star Wars episode where you interrupted to talk about lightsaber forms. Yep. Well, that was that's that plays a part in the plot of Revenge of the Sith. It's no, like it every episode no, where he interrupts to say some dumb bullshit about something no one cares about but himself, <laughs> because he's just a little baby at heart. But it's okay. Where aren't we all? Goo goo gaga, baby Nick. Um, I'm, well, I'm sorry, he likes, June. He continue. Likes Brian De Palma, so he's he's not a baby. So that's <laughs> because he enough. famously makes movies for adults. Yes, he does. <laughs> Um, but I will say when they're making the bet, it is clear that these people are not anyone who has any like intense material needs. Like these people are not mm. concerned about not having health care, about missing rent, if they can be so flippant and so cavalier about, you know, the normies who are in their voting, right? Yeah, they the fact that they literally like made a bet about like who's gonna win, that's like I know leftist people who do that, but like the the way they went about it was really yeah it, when they're on like not, a fancy private jet right. and they're they're drinking <laughs> yeah. and then yeah. the, when they get off and they go like slow mo and there's that like nondescript like fake alternative rock 
playing in the background. Yes. It to me, especially from the fact that all the pl- the scenes on the plane are filmed in that sort of like shitty home movie style. It seems less like it's happening in the movie, and it's more like what these like shithead dudes would think is really cool if they made a movie about themselves. Yes, <laughs> Which, it, it was yeah. it, it was those guys like doing doing the Hangover. Yeah, right? yeah, definitely. Which came which came out in two thousand nine as well. So like this this movie, I, I guess like it it wrapped production before that that movie came out. So that's another instance of instance of prescience. Wow. Impressions and memory. I think yep. those are the themes of this month. <laughs> yeah, it really is. <laughs> Jesus. Um, but yeah, I mean, um, I, I guess I did say earlier that I think like the majority of, uh, you know, her clientele is empath- empathetic. Um, I mean, I'd only walk that back a bit um, because there's people like the guy who go- she sees the movie with who later tells her like, oh, everything's fucked. And like, you know, you better you better get cash and stuff. And, uh, obviously like this guy makes a bajillion dollars, I'm sure on wall street. So like, fuck him. He tells her to invest in gold, which is yet another thing. Yes. Like the gold craze, yeah. like the, like the, the, the mendacious mold bug uh, guy. Oh who, yeah. Like, came out <laughs> yep. during the Obama, like the tail end of the Obama presidency. That was only a few, that was like, I don't know, five or six years after this movie would have taken place. But like, these these gold bugs who like to say like invest in gold don't don't go to diamonds that's like a waste yeah the the guy is not sympathetic who also sets up all the plans and then cancels on her because somebody yeah, making right. very elaborate plans with a sex worker and then they have to like rearrange what their work schedule is and then all of it to fall apart with he says yeah. he's gonna pay and then he probably doesn't this is definitely not a thing that's ever happened to me before but it's hypothetically would be really shitty <laughs> yeah and in the way he cancels on her too like he 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 sets her up in like this this bungalow and like this in, in like upstate new york or whatever and he pays for everything and then he calls he's like yeah i i just like i was skyping with my daughters and i broke down in tears <laughs> I, I can't do this amazing like, he has this like yeah like like this affected quiver to his voice and like like like, it's like realistically okay so she has a bnb but it's like how much did it cost for her to go out there and go back and she's not seeing clients and she's not making money during that time so you really are still going to be costing her yes yeah definitely um i would say probably one of the more interesting unsympathetic of her clients would be the final client we see (laughs) Um, the orthodox jewish man who uh tells her to vote mccain uh because uh he cares about the state of israel um and then they just like hug i don't know i mean the the hugging's nice i guess um but also he gets off yeah he gets off from just a hug hug. yeah that that was that was fascinating that was that was another example of like of 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 the subtext becoming text like this guy doesn't he he's not looking to have a sexual release with this person what he really wants is this emotional um someone someone to unload emotionally onto and that's what she does and like it's 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 depicted as like he literally like leaves his undershirt on yeah yeah and 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 he and he and he comes by hugging her and that's such like a blatant and not like bad it's just like such an obvious and like straightforward um erasure of that like it's not really about sex it's it's really about 
emotional connection. Yeah, the thing that I'm actually drawn to in that scene on sort of a materialist level is when he's talking about how diamonds are a bad investment because they don't really have actual resale value because their price is just a lie. And it's like, that's entirely true. But then he's like, well, invest in gold. Like, yeah, yeah. So he's just clearly missing the fact that really all commodities are like that, right? Well, Wait, this is actually yeah, the uncut gems connection right here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Holy shit, yes, there is a direct is. uncut gems connection. I take back what I said previously. <laughs> this is this is an uncut gems. Don't prequel. don't like, buy a black opal. You're not going to be able to sell it for a million. <laughs> and what's crazy about this is like 2008 to 2012. That's when like we were in college. Like the the uncut the girlfriend experience to uncut gem. The, the road from Girlfriend Experience to Uncut Gems is like the road of the three of us, like when we were in college. Yeah. I mean, I met you in 09, and then I graduated in 2011, yeah. and that's, mm-hmm. I guess, probably when we became better friends. Yeah. Wow. These are these films are deeply personal for us, and I mean, I'm sure people say they that are. about like every film they really like, but I mean, this is, this is true. <laughs> yeah, no, no, this, everything from... Like the 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 writing of this movie to the cinematography, which I think we've touched on, but I want to get into a little bit. But like, I'm I'm a Soderbergh fan, just like based off of this. I think you would like his other stuff. Um, I think um, out of the pat. No, what is that one called? Uh, the one with um, George Clooney and Jennifer Lopez. I'm doing some live yeah, action research. Yeah, do some here, research. Folks. Out of the Past is not yeah. the name of the movie. That's that's an old film noir, but um Out of Sight? Out of Sight. There we go. That's it. Out of Sight. I knew the word out was in there somewhere. Um I think you would I would think you would enjoy Out of Sight. Uh it's based on an Elmer Leonard book actually. Oh. Um, so, oh. you know, that's our cool. love for Justified right there. Uh Right, <laughs> right. Naturally. Um. So yeah. Um. Who is there? Anything else we wanted to touch on, or do we want to go into the workers of note? Um, I think we've I think we've said our piece on this movie, um, this masterpiece. But uh, June, what do you think? Uh, I. Yeah, I would say I, I would just add my personal connection that like 2009 is when I like first came out to people as trans and this movie had nothing to do with it. But <laughs> um, in terms of like really realizing the desperation and like material needs of people when being confronted with like what HRT and surgeries actually cost uh, was one of the first things I think that really started pushing me towards leftism. It wasn't like until Trump was elected that it really was that change. But um, the fact that the world is like what you see in the girlfriend experience and is not this sort of realm of ideas is, I guess, like it was happening at the same time. So if we want to talk like personal connection there. And and I was also like doing, a, I, I wrote a, I did my thesis on like, uh, feminism in, in cinema so I was watching a whole lot of like weird indie films like this at the time so mm-hmm. yeah it, it comes at like a weird moment for me as well 
Yeah, it seems to hit. It seems to hit some kind of nexus for all three of us. And um, well, well, more me, more me and Lewis have like this kind of the same inter, like the same connection, but like in in different ways at least between between the two of us. It, and you. it probably helps. We're all about the same age too. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I'm convinced now that sure. like right now we're in a different timeline because like there's 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 just way too many connections for all of us to this movie for like this to exist yes. we're like in a pocket dimension right now well, and when people release this people would be like this makes no sense to me <laughs> well once they realize that like nick has like the cis timeline of my life <laughs> like up until up oh until about the time the girlfriend experience came out we were on very parallel tracks they'll start <laughs> to realize that was the point of divergence damn <laughs> thank you sasha gray yeah thank you god god bless sasha gray i think that's a meme i think that was, was a meme, it? right i don't know I, I think it's like a t a guy wearing a t-shirt that says like god bless sasha gray amazing i hope so i yeah. i hope she sees this bro <laughs> Yeah, we we sh- we should add her for this episode. Just saying, um, <laughs> big simping right there, Jesus. Uh, for for her her Witcher stream. Oh, of course, on. of course. Uh, nothing yeah. else. <laughs> I'm pretty else. sure the M in simp um, stands for mediocre, and based on some of the shots of her in this film, that cannot be really applied to her at all. <laughs> but simp, but isn't the mediocre applied to the guy responding to the the? I always woman. thought it was mediocre pussy was what's supposed to be the M and the P, right? Gotcha. gotcha. I have no idea. This is all news to me. Yeah. But workers of note, besides Sasha Gray, who um, I, I I think she deserves mention here because there, there is stigma for being a sex worker and like breaking into the mainstream. Um, I, I think she did a good job acting. I, I think a lot of her acting choices that are criticized for being flat in, in like affectless were deliberate were deliberate choices between her and Soderbergh um so that that that's the obvious one for workers of note yeah so uh I put a few down here um this one is one that we just never talk about but and it's really not relevant to this film at all except that it's a position (laughs) that you know most films have um which is craft services um which is basically just the food that people on the cast and crew eat um people got to eat uh Cheryl Bolin uh yeah I mean I can't attest I can't attest to the fact that the craft services was good I'm just sure it is um and again we literally just never talk about it and I felt like why not let's talk about it now (laughs) and and also like on a on a relative shoestring budget for like movie like this um especially like in New York City where logistics is like probably a nightmare I, I think that someone deserves credit for like that making it happen and like in that kind of environment yeah that's good i agree <laughs> um we also have amy l teats um, the costume supervisor um carmen cuba the casting director and uh woody jackson the um engineer musician uh i thought the music intro the music choices were idi- idiosyncratic and kind of weird but but fitting um besides maybe that that little diegetic non-diegetic thing that lewis mentioned at the beginning and i like um, those two like hipster idiots who are singing on the side of the street and they're like the yes, song is like everyone's yes. a critic which is relevant for what's going on but yeah that was also very yes. prescient for just your sort of like hipster musician on the side of the street with the ukulele oh, yeah. or whatever mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it had a very much like that uh, that movie, like Once or whatever. It had like a that kind of quality to it. Just like these, like uh, you know, this duo uh, hipster musicians, just like yeah, bumbling around the city doing their music. Yeah. I also think casting is like doubly important if you're gonna be relying on mostly non-professional actors because you have to get someone who really look and feels yeah. like the part because you can't rely on the you know star power of saying oh well i recognize that name so i want to see what he's doing in that movie exactly um yeah that just automatically makes it that that role more challenging um i did put this down too i think soderbergh himself deserves recognition um because he under the name peter andrews he he was a cinematographer for this movie and i already mentioned how much i loved the shots in this movie and how the the interplay between like foreground fuzziness and background fuzziness and um a lot of the shot choices reminded me of lewis's shooting style uh which i really appreciated um and i'm gonna deflect this away from me and talk about brian de palma um because (laughs) (laughs) um so uh, during an interview with a French publication, uh, Brian De Palma was asked about like uh, Soderbergh's visual style. I don't know why. I don't know what the context was exactly. Um, but Brian De Palma said, Steven Soderbergh, a visual director? Are you kidding? Give me an example of a great visually memorable scene from Soderbergh or a silent sequence based on a staging. I saw an episode of The Nick and there's nothing that impresses that is nothing that impressed me visually. So uh, Brian De Palma disagrees with you, disagrees with us, and he hates Steven Soderbergh's visual style. <laughs> but has he seen the girlfriend experiences? I don't know. Question? Maybe he's only seen the Nick. Uh, I don't know. People people do like that show though, but it's a TV show, so maybe it's not that visually interesting. Just on premise. Yeah, sure. I do think there's a couple scenes that are composed in a slightly objective certain distant style which adds to that um fiction that looks like non-fiction feel and the the one i really like is when the uh christine's with a client they're in the foreground and they're off to the side and then they're kind of blurred and the background is more distinct and in between the two of them are these like very bright chandeliers that are hanging oh yeah yeah i i love that shot um yeah yeah and and then at the end of that shot it switched like it it focused sharply on christine while she was waiting for the client to get back with the drink yes yeah that's right very good crystallizing moment in the in the visual vocabulary of that shot Mm -hmm. yeah no i think i mean i think there's just some great um as brian de palma thinks otherwise however i think there's great staging and just like shot blocking in general in um literally every scene um i like the it's pretty understated but um the scene where she's talking to um one of the you know wall street guys who's like you don't get it you don't understand um and it's like they're sort of silhouetted sort of not um and there's just like this gigantic you know window of his like penthouse apartment um and i don't know it's like just fairly simple but also like incredibly bleak just the way it was shot and I, I really appreciated that um but it's it's such a small scene too that like it's easy to forget it and there were a number of scenes where um 
most of the frame would be just a blank space, like a, a, a hallway in darkness, and maybe like a third of the frame would be through a doorway, and then you would see the, the characters talking through the doorway. Right. And it was like such an interesting way of like segmenting an already segmented view into these people's lives, which is really cool. Yeah, yeah. No, for sure. I mean, Soderbergh is a visual director. Um, Brian De Palma is... Um, I would say a a better visual director, but I don't I don't understand his beef with Soderbergh. Um, my two dads need to make up. Uh, they need to make up soon, please. <laughs> Sasha Gray will bring them together. I I could see someone who, if they didn't like this movie, could make an objection that like Soderbergh is like a, being a tryhard to replicate like a Kubrick style almost. Yeah. Okay. I don't think mm. it's valid, but I could definitely see someone who was like trying to find fault coming to that conclusion. Yeah, that's not far from the mark. I can see that yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. You know, not to always bring this back to Brian De Palma, but he has a great uh, sex work movie called Body Double. Um, which is uh, basically the thesis of the film is that uh, acting in Hollywood is um, all acting in Hollywood is just porn acting basically. Uh, yeah. It's, it's a good, yeah, it's a yeah, good film. Yeah. It's an amazing film. That's legit. Um, so Sasha Gray and Brian De Palma and Steven Soderbergh should remake it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Should remake body double. <laughs> Hell yes. Body right. triple they could call it. <laughs> <laughs> Body squared. Brian De Palma OnlyFans. <laughs> I think we just found our, our episode title. Well, maybe maybe Steven Soderbergh yeah, OnlyFans. Yeah, something like that. Let's make it more obvious, yeah. All right. Uh, broke well, recommendation. Um, what do we got, Nick? Um, move for, So, horny leftist, I guess, bros or brochalists um, who, who definitely know who Sasha Gray is. Um, but who it, 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 it's kind of a stereotype, like, like the brochure stereotype who like, Oh, like patriarchal assholes who don't recognize sex work as real work. But like, it's true. There are, there are, um, guys immersed in toxic masculinity who don't consider sex work to be legitimate labor. Um, kind of like, that's kind of like a tanky position I would say, but like, it's, it's not, it's not fake. It's real. People do think that like, this is a good film um, to kind of, kind of cure you of that delusion. Um, Sex work is real work. This movie is a very um, artistic and accurate portrayal of that reality. Um, So, so I guess leftists, leftist bro-y guys who, who need to um, have that view corrected. Whore is uh, perhaps the original intersexual insult, right? Yes. Did you come up with that, or is no, that pointing something? <laughs> okay. <laughs> We're not literate, so that's why we don't know quotes. <laughs> uh, woke recommendation, Lewis, um, what do we have? So, uh, this isn't a recommendation. Well, this is a recommendation for, like, anybody who wants to make a film, um, just for the film industry in general. Um, not so much a recommendation for our listeners, um, there should be a moratorium on movies with plots, uh, death to movies with plots. Um, <laughs> it's a, it's a I am a plot jihadist. No more <laughs> plots, please. <laughs> I hate movies with plots. I'm too stupid to understand them. Give me things without plots, please. <laughs> 
how are you going to get on TV tropes if your film doesn't have a plot? <laughs> well, I'm sure oh, you can, um, right? I'm sure that, that's a trope, probably. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that is something like plotless. Yeah, <laughs> something, yeah, <laughs> something cool. bullshit like that. But no, I mean, hey, plots have uh, their time and place. Um, but I am, I'm just a, <laughs> they <laughs> do, yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> but I'm I'm just a big proponent of um, more plotless, somewhat meandering films. Um, I think it um, it makes you think about the the work uh, differently. It makes you um, engage with it differently, um, and um, it makes you think about yourself differently. <laughs> I don't know what that means. <laughs> no, that no, no, no. Unironically, yes, I, I agree with everything. Okay, you just cool. Said. Bespoke June. What do you got? Uh, sex workers who like cinema. <laughs> I, I think this movie is particularly good for someone who has done sex work to get a sense both of how it is portrayed and the type of people who would consume it because it's like with the astrology thing, it's not 100% uh, going to match what someone's experience is. But I think that can be useful for creating a dialogue about what does sex work mean and how do we think about it. But it's also uh, interesting because it just is filmed very well and goes out of the way to capture what the experience is like in a way that is not like a sensationalist, tabloid, moralizing sort of uh, nonfiction piece about how like everyone doing it, they're the poor lost souls or something like that. Yeah, the 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 dearth of condescension in this movie was was refreshing, um, specifically given its con- its subject matter. Um, speaking strictly as a relatively privileged cishet guy who's never done sex work, it it, it felt very respectful um, to the sex workers portrayed in the movie. Yeah, and yeah. it also felt like they were you know trying to make like with Soderbergh being a visual director trying to make a very stylized movie, trying to make, like, an actual film. It's not a slapdash, churned-out film that's trying to bank on sensationalism. It's not something like, I don't know, Pretty Woman, right? Yeah, that Pretty Woman is, like, the... the dark mirror version of this movie, right? (laughs) (laughs) The the shit version of this movie. Yeah, I I think Bizarro World... Uh, Pretty Woman definitely be something in this direction. Yeah, for sure. You know, Jonathan Rosenbaum actually sort of likes Pretty Woman. It's one of his like um, best worst movies on his like uh, favorite movies list. Actually, he still doesn't love it, but like of the films he likes the least is his favorite or something absurd like that. <laughs> well. Ebert likes this movie, so this is just a bizarro episode all around. <laughs> um, well, I think that's everything we had for the girlfriend experience. Um, June, thank you very much for appearing on this episode. Yeah, thank you for us. having me. Yeah, would you like to plug your stuff now? Um, we can also tweet about it. Oh, I, I'm tweet about everything, so that will happen. Uh, <laughs> so my Twitter handle, you can follow me at, at JuneSares1, because uh, if you ain't first, you're last. Uh, you can check out A Horror's Manifesto. It's available on through Thorn Tree Press or on Amazon or basically any other internet giant monolith that sells books. Uh, one of my pieces is published there. And you can check out my Patreon, which is also uh, just patreon.com slash June Sayers. 
I write a bunch of nonfiction essays that sometimes touch on sex work, other times just touch on personal experiences or random things I find interesting, like this movie. And Ancient Rome. Yes, it's that was my real critique of this film, is that it does not in any way involve prostitution in ancient Rome. I think a discussion <laughs> about Messalina could have been very interesting, but they, they passed on it. Sasha Gray is the contemporary Messalina. <laughs> that is true. I bet she could dare just about anyone that she could have more sex with them in a day and she would win. So I think that's true. The article um, about uh, Sasha Gray uh, from 2006 uh, also mentions uh, ancient Rome in the uh, in the first paragraph. Um, in the same breath as it mentions uh, Steven Soderbergh, so bringing it all back. Soderbergh's going to make a movie about like Caesar's civil war now. That's going to be his next big budget blockbuster. <laughs> yeah, he's due for one, right? I mean, he hasn't made one since Logan Lucky. So, if you're listening, Mr. Soderbergh pay us mr soderberg hit us up uh, <laughs> at us we'll we'll respond in a timely fashion this, i'm sure this episode has been just to get the attention of sasha gray and steven soderberg yes yes yeah yes that's true <laughs> for sure <laughs> um well thank you for listening folks um thank you june for appearing on the episode and we'll see you next time we will see you next time on the pro con experience oh yeah